Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bukalu. I'm your host, Anthony. John and David of the Lorehounds are back to help me cover a really interesting Davos chapter and one that's not really represented in the show. Lots of Stannis talk, lots of smoke baby talk. Then, after my conversation with the Lorehounds, I include a short excerpt of my deliberations for my upcoming Fantasy Fantasy League. A few of the league members join me to talk about their team name, house words, and a few other matters. Keep an eye out for all the Lorehounds are doing at thelorehounds.com. Without further ado, here's David and John. John and David, if you were going to select two members from the Ice and Fire universe to start a podcast... Oof. Uh, you guys are both seasoned podcasters. You've probably put out more in the last two months than I've done in the last two years. <laughs> you should have some kind of expertise by now. So your dream team of two Ice and Fire podcasters, mm. who would they be? I think I know mine. John, do you have yours? You go first. I have one in mind. Okay. So what makes for a compelling podcast? Uh, good audio, right? If you have crap audio, people tune out. You need some compelling content, but you also need people who can talk in this weird extemporaneous way because we're kind of talking at each other, but we're also talking to the audience and you've got to be able to roll with a lot of stuff. And I think two people who have that kind of charisma would be Tyrion and Renly Baratheon. Mmm, very good. Oh, I, I haven't, haven't heard Brenly before, but that makes a lot of sense. And I think that those two have different enough personalities Yeah, that that would be interesting. If I have an alternate? Yeah. What might be, um, oh, what's her name? Highgarden, um, who was betrothed to uh, uh, Joffrey's... Um, Marjorie Tyrell? Uh, yeah, no, not Marjorie. That you want? Not Marjorie. You want the grandmother? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, but, yeah. Ooh, that yeah. would be even better. Yeah. Oh, mm. ooh, that's fire. You were gonna suggest Marjorie or Lady Olena? Marjorie. All right, but because I think Marjorie's uh-huh. got that kind of cutting wit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
depending on the kind mm. of podcast and the topics that you would have, she would be very insightful and, and very, um, she'd be really, uh, not quippy, but she would cut to the quick, you know, with certain people right. or guests or content, yeah, yeah. you know. Go ahead, John. You got a couple in mind? You know, if I were just going to pick two based on their performances alone, probably would have to be Tyrion and Tywin Lannister, but they fucking hate each other, so I can't put them on a podcast <laughs> together. That would be, uh, that would be uh, int- interesting content. <laughs> so sure. I would sub out Tywin, and you got to get someone else who loves to hear themselves talk. Okay. So I'm going to mm. say Varys because Tyrion will be able to pull Ooh. all the juicy bits out of Varys. Mm, yeah, very good. You know, very you good. can't have like see or or all right. I'm going to I'm going to make it real wild now. Put Bobby B in there to have him like blow the the Stephen A. Smith of Westeros. Yeah, if you had one yeah. of those drive times where you have like that sort of crew and they're all, yeah, he does crank know, calls on the radio, Bobby other. B. <laughs> that's good all right so i a long time ago i came up with Tyrion and lady elena and i think that's still good although when i was reading this chapter today i thought sir courtney penrose would be an interesting voice to bring in Mm -hmm. he's just he's super quick yeah he's got like a barbed tongue Mm mm-hmm He's got great insults. I, I mean, he, he lets um, Stannis have it a, a little bit in this chapter, right? I love it when he says, uh, you could choose any weapon you want. You can pull out that burning sword unless you're afraid I'm going to piss all over <laughs> yep. it. <laughs> I mean, if anyone shouldn't be on a podcast, it's Stannis. He, you just go, Stannis, what'd you think of the show today? <clears throat> yeah. Right. <laughs> Who's the growly guy in Ted Lasso? Yeah, Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Stamps is the Roy Kent, right? <laughs> um, okay. All right. Well, we've had our fun. Let's get down to business here. Uh, I'm going to read my synopsis of this chapter, and then we get to talk about it. Davos has arrived at Storm's End in time for a parlay between Stannis and Sir Courtney Penrose. Stannis demands the castle and Robert's bastard. Sir Courtney throws a glove in his face and proposes a trial of champions. Stannis refuses and rides away, determined to kill Penrose, but not through single combat. He meets with Davos in private. They talk of loyalty and Renly's peach and nightmares and war plans. Stannis reveals his plan to smuggle some Lord of Light lunacy into Storm's End. <laughs> Davos protests, but ends up navigating himself and Melisandre to an underground portcullis. Once beneath the castle, Melisandre births her second smoke baby. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which one he wants to go first? David. All right. Fair enough. There was a lot actually happened in this chapter. It's it's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty consequential in in some ways, but the thing that I really keyed in on was a deeper introduction to Davos, and I think it's safe to say that Davos is a well beloved among the fandom a character. The you know 
the portrayal on TV, I, th- I don't know what, if, if he was your guys, one of your guys' favorites. He certainly was one of mine. And I was trying to think about why that was. He's a humble man. He's an uneducated man in the sense that he's, you know, not literate. And he's been jumped up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he was pulled up to be, to be a, a knight. Mm-hmm. And yet through his devotion no i want to say devotion his loyalty his upstanding up up forthrightness and his cleverness and quick of thought like he's a really good thinker he puts all the other lords to shame that are around uh stannis in this meeting in, in in future times he is so here here's an uneducated martin is giving us this uneducated man who was a smuggler and he sort of just sort of clawed his, you know, his way through survival, who suddenly found himself, you know, at his king's, one of his king's primary uh, uh, advisors. But it's his simplicity and his quick mind that just put everyone else to shame. All these professed knights are, you know, this and that. He he just, and, and, and as a device, as a literary device, I think it's a really great character that Martin gave us to backdrop the, uh, what does he say in the line about uh, the flies around the corpse? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Lord, the, yeah, since Renly's death, the lords and retainers are swarming Stannis like like flies on a corpse. Yeah, and and I think that that, as a, as a device, the, the character Davos does a really great job in backstopping a whole bunch of other characters so that we have a depth of field, so to speak, to be able to see. We can focus back to Davos and go, here's a plain man who just walks two feet on the ground. And then now here's all this craziness and all these silly people, you know, and this is how far these people are silly and crazy. And then the other thing is he's entirely mundane and non-magical. Well, Davos is unique in a few ways. Number one, he kind of occupies the space that Jon Snow did in the first book. Okay. In that Jon Snow was sort of like a view from below, right? Mm. He's he's not a lord, he's not a knight, he's he's kinda of, he's still a child, and moreover, he's a bastard. Right? And so he's sort of that view from below, and he's also almost entirely, you know attentive to the moral compass. Mm. And in this book, Davos is not just the view from below. He's the first commoner POV. You know, even John, you know, even John was the bastard of a high Lord or whatever. He grew up in a castle. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And even more so than John, maybe he's got his finger on that moral compass. And in those two ways, Davos is almost unlike any other character, any other POV character we meet. Right. You know, Davos, I guess I guess what's interesting to me about him is we get a lot of questions when we watch a show. Will this character have a redemption arc? But Davos is a man who is introduced to us at the end of his redemption arc. Oh, interesting. 
Huh. Ooh, that's a good one. He holds the proof of his redemption around his neck, right? He holds <laughs> mm-hmm, his fingers nice. around his neck. Mm-hmm. He's loyal nice. to the man who cut off his fingers because he's done self-reflection and said, okay, I did some good, I did some bad, this was a fair outcome. Right. I'm going to try to be better going forward. And he is. He's better going forward. He does not have uh, really a moral journey in this book. I mean, he has doubts about his loyalty to the man but that's less of a growth moment for him and more of a it's more of a barometer on Stannis and what he's doing it's it's like he's he's walking a path not completing a moral arc he's got to just stay on his path okay let me yeah let me uh let me play a little bit of a lord of darkness advocate here um so Yes, he's he I think that when we meet him he has come to the end of his hero's journey or whatever. And you know, he's sort of at the end of his moral arc. And if he can stay there, like you said David, if he can stay there, he's good. He's golden, right? Right. And he might even And we even see that in that conversation with Stannis. Right. He might even get a lordship out of it, right? He might be rewarded for his bravery and his fealty and all that business. And yet, here we are. He's steering the boat. He knows what the boat's for. He knows who, who, what his cargo is. He doesn't actually know that there's going to be a smoke baby at the end of it, but he <laughs> He has an idea that it's going to be an assassin thing. And so he knows it's underhanded. He knows this is not the cleanest way to win. So he's faced with this moral dilemma. Am I true to my lord or am I or my king? Am I true to my king or am I true to my my sense of right and wrong? And he chooses. I think he chooses sort of loyalty over righteousness in this chapter mm. so i don't i don't know if he's at the end of his moral arc so to speak i mean but then if we compare him to ned ned chose righteousness and lost his head for it where in you know as part of the great game where in so far davos has only lost two fingers and he continues to walk this narrow path, and, and he's made a choice uh, to hold faith to his his yeah. king, huh. rather than to hold faith to some sort of sense of righteousness, some moral or, right. or you know ethical code. I think we could question whether or not Ned actually chooses righteousness in the end. But the one thing that they both know is they both have like a strong inner voice that tells them. That's the right thing to do. That's mm. what a good knight would do. And I'm not going to take the other path or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, I guess in ways that they both decide to depart from the path. But. Uh, well, this is, goes into the conversation that he has with Melisandra about being a gray man. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to read that. Okay. Uh, that was that was one of the one of the times I feel like. Gurm is speaking directly to us through one of his characters. Mm, I think this is sort of like, this is almost a thesis statement for this process of, right. of creating characters. Hmm. Right. Uh, are, are you a good man, Davos Seaworth? She asked. Would a good man be doing this? That's his private thoughts. 
I am a man, he said. I am kind to my wife, but I have known other women. I have tried to be a father to my sons, to help make them a place in the world. I, I've broken laws, but I've never felt evil until tonight. I would say my parts are mixed, milady, good and bad. A gray man, she said, neither white nor black, but partaking of both. Is that what you are, Sir Davos? What if I am? It seems to me that most men are gray. I almost feel like that's Germ saying, this is how I think of all of my characters. Mm-hmm. He, here's the one that is most righteous. He is the most righteous POV character I've ever created. And in the end of the day, at the end of the day, he is a morally gray character. John, this makes me think a lot about of our, our Star Wars conversations in our coverage for Star Wars. Where you, I don't know if you were having any similar thoughts, but okay. When I read the Gray Man line today, I instantly thought of you. When we talk about Gray Force users, You're talking about Balin, mm-hmm. or you know, um, uh, oh, what's his name from Andor? Yeah, uh, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, Luthen. Yeah, Luthen. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking Foundation. I was thinking that oh, Davos nice. is the Poly. Really, really mixing up the stew here. Davos is Poly. Um, okay, as. Stannis oh, that's Selden. a good one. I like that. Ooh. You know, loyal to the cause mm. and to the ideal of the man while still questioning the man's actions. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The other interesting. time I thought I heard Gurm speaking directly to the reader uh, was in this line. <clears throat> Stannis is talking. He says, it was justice. A good act does not wash out the bad, nor a bad act the good. Each should have his own reward. You are a hero and a smuggler. So yeah, I totally highlighted that in my <laughs> that that's that's Stannis talking, but I think that's George talking. I mean, it it, it is how he thinks of these mm. things. It's like you could be a villain and do something noble, and that should be judged for that merit. Or you could be a hero and you could do something ignoble, and that should be judged accordingly as mm-hmm. well. And uh, and I, I, it's interesting that in a book, in a sea of gray characters, it's these individual acts of nobility or ignobility that really kind of has to define what kind of just desserts are allotted. That's yeah, my little that's my little spiel for today. <laughs> yeah, and I mean Stannis. I'm sure that you've dissected him more in his in, in more Stannis centric chapters. This one sort of weaves in and out of Stannis, but I mean him in general. I think the reason he was so interesting in in the show and the books to me, and why I think he was so wasted in the show, was he is an exploration of a potential hero who has no hmm. charisma at all. Yeah, which is very. <laughs> Very uncommon. He doesn't even narrative. want to dress the part, you know. He does. He's he's so. <laughs> I I sometimes I think in uh, in baseball terminology. So uh, I don't know if if you you guys are familiar with the term the ass. Do you know what it means for someone to have the ass? No. <laughs> so no. So if you're in a baseball dugout and someone has the ass, it means that they are pissed. They are angry. <laughs> All right. And I think it stems mm-hmm. from, you know, someone who, you know, someone who's like a red ass is someone who's kind of like, a, you know, he's got a temper. 
He's going to do something about it. Stannis has the ass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, man, he just doesn't like anyone. He only likes it almost like he only it's almost like he only likes Davos when Davos like puts him in his place. But he doesn't that like that for too long either. Like Right. He distrusts everyone and he distrusts all courtesy. Mhm. So he refuses to play the, like the you know the Peter Baelish game where you're saying one thing with a smile but you mean something mm-hmm. else with your winks or with something like that. Stannis cannot stomach it that's why he likes davos davos is going to tell it to him straight even if it means you know a a hard truth that will get him in trouble but of course he only likes that a little bit (laughs) right (laughs) there are limits even to that there are limits yeah and davos is aware of those and i think that goes Mm -hmm. into his ability his sort of cunning sixth sense of being a smuggler allows him to navigate these waters better than a lot of other people could because he's got to be able to pick up on those little tells really fast. Right. So, yeah. John, what was your takeaway from this chapter? To put it into Shrek terms, ogres are like onions and onions have layers. And the onion (laughs) knight is layered as all hell. Yeah. (laughs) What a poetic way to say that. (laughs) Tell me about these layers. I mean, you have this, like you say, this very straightforward Davos, this one that's trying to question Stannis respectfully, but not push his buttons too much. You have his inner mm-hmm. thoughts of, what the hell is going on here? Why are we, why are we, sacri- you know, I, I guess, have they sacrificed people yet in the book? I don't even remember. They did in the prologue. Oh, they did in the yeah. prologue. Okay, so we've. Well, why are we sacrificing people? Why are we having shadow babies? I, I, I'm not all on board with this. Why is Stannis sleeping with this priestess? Right. Um, and then you have the one with Melisandre who is doing so many things to try to not seem afraid, but is very clearly afraid. Hmm. And Martin does a really great job of sort of portraying the different faces that people put on in front of other people, which is really hard to do, I think, with your characters because you think of them one way. And especially when you're juggling so many characters, having each of them have so many different, you know, portrayals when they're in different settings is really difficult. But on top of that, and we don't get this in the show, but I think we definitely get this in the book is that you really see the thoughts of a father, like, Mm-hmm. Stannis is always not Stannis. Uh, Davos is always considering what his actions will mean for his children, mm-hmm. and so I mean, you know, another man might have sailed away and said, "Forget this. This is dark magic, and I I didn't sign up for this, and I am I am out of here." Right, and, and I I dare you to chase me because I know these seas pretty well, but. His son is a squire to the king. Yep. And he's got other sons that he wants the best for. And he thinks this is what up, upward mobility looks like for my children. At the end of the day, everything he does and says to Stannis has consequences for his sons. Interesting. Yeah. And even this Lord of Light business, it's like, I, I hate this new god that he's adopted. But now my son is an adherent to R'hllor. 
And so, and, and you know what, that's probably a wise decision for him to do because he's the King's squire. He, you know, it's, it's advantageous for him to convert. So even if he doesn't like it, he's almost thinking, what outcome is best for my children? Hmm. He's a results oriented man. Onion. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. There's more onion to him. How old are your children? You guys both have children. I have an eight-year-old. Yes, I have an almost three-year-old and a ten-month-old. Right, right. So you will be there soon, but (laughs) there will be a day when one of your children will make a life choice. And it'll be like, well, it's not the one I would have made, but it's the one I'm going to live with. And maybe that's the one I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. And uh, because... I'm I'm so committed to the welfare of this person that I am going to just try to survive their bad decisions, however however I can, right? Mm-hmm. So it could in in, in Davos's case, it's like his son converts, and it might be a weirdo human sacrifice religion. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope none of our kids choose that, yep, right? Yep. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but he's going to have to live with it. That, that's that's the way it's going to be. Mm. And what is he? Is uh, he has seven sons, and a bunch of them are, are sea captains in the fleet. Yeah, I think so. And then I think he loses most of those in the battle. You know what? In a previous chapter, I think he goes through all of his sons, and it, it's just it's just name soup. To me. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know who's doing what. Right. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, no, all of his sons have the potential of becoming knights and maybe even lords uh, for some of them. And, right. And if Stannis succeeds anyway. I had a, another thought if we're wanting to yeah. change tack yeah, yeah. a little bit. Sure. There's a great little back and forth between Stannis and Davos about. Melisandra and being able to see the future and he says you know look at the flames you know they flicker and the and it's hard to understand you know uh, uh, I forget all the lines but you know a tall man can be shorter or something like that and uh, yet Melisandra is somebody who can you know see all of these possible variations and we've been in some of our other shows that we've been covering and stuff this this question of prophecy and the inevitability and determinism uh, and this was, I think, another point where Martin is, you know, knowingly or unknowingly laying some groundwork a- a- around some of this stuff. And I don't know with House of the Dragon what his level of involvement is in the meta story, but we suddenly are dealing with a lot of prophecy. I'm pretty sure that came directly in... from him, didn't it? Okay. I that don't know. one specific thing I think we know came directly from him. I'm really the, glad you brought this up because okay. I had the cat's paw, right? In the in the whole like Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought this up. I because I did not remember until reading this chapter this week mm-hmm. that Mel has visions that don't come to pass. It's true. Right. So what what happens in this chapter is she said, You need to go and meet Renly. And I predict you will win Renly if you go meet him at Bitterbridge. Mm-hmm. And she said, I see another vision of Renly defeating Sacking King's Landing. 
So don't go and meet him there. And clearly, Renly's dead now. He's not going to sack King's Landing. Right. Unless we have a Return of the King ghost Renly situation. But I think that... So I think what this tells us is that some of the visions that Mel has will not come to pass if if a person chooses the other option. So she's laying out two visions before. Do you want to win or do you want to lose? If you want to win, mm-hmm. take my advice and go this direction. But it doesn't – everything she sees in the fire does not always come to pass. You know, something that I, I had a question about because, you know, Stannis is going, well, obviously that this isn't going to – he, he kind of points that out, right? Davos points that out, that, you know, th- th- they can't all be true. And mm-hmm. Stannis goes, well, there's there's a couple shadows in the fire. Wouldn't there be kind of infinite shadows in the fire? Like, what's the point of prophecy if you have all these different possibilities anyway? You're just visualizing speculation. Yeah. And he also says, you, she saw in the flames, but it requires me to do something for it to become true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. So, and also, I mean, he basically points out, like, how do you know that you couldn't have worked something out with? Renly ever you know like (laughs) you could have helped him storm uh, King's Landing and that would have been a different outcome and that would have been you making a different choice and yeah it's just it seems like Stannis is ready to use prophecy in a very convenient manner to excuse his own wrongdoings yeah it's a great point (laughs) that you bring up because the thing that the thing that Davos says is like you don't know that that other option would have required you to die or you to lose. You could have supported Renly and Renly could have become king. That that other vision did not require a zero-sum game, right? Mm-hmm. But, of course, Stannis is thinking, unless he swears fealty to me and I am king, that is not the outcome I want, right? Right. So he so yeah, just in support of what you're saying there, John, it's he's using prophecy ambitiously. Yeah, he is not above using whatever means. And this and he's I guess he's just going well, his wife is a a, a true convert though, right? He, he is more of a a form um he's he's just going through the motions to be able to use Rolor's Whatever's maybe so. He seems to be a true believer in this chapter. Mm-hmm. He's seen it happen. I mean, I think that early on he was sort of like using, you know, sort of writing the coattails of Verlore. Right. But now he's seen it happen. He's seen it's come to things have come to pass. He's yeah. He's seen that how, how powerful it is. It seems like he's all in. Okay. Um. It also this also. This chapter also tells us that there's a consequence. He looks several years older yes. than the last time Davos saw him. Right. Davos is kind of shocked by it, too. And we kind of know in retrospect, like, he's been sort of seeding his royal blood to make these shadow babies or whatever. But it has come at a cost. And I think that the show kind of nods in this direction. You know, Mel says, like, your your fires are burning low my king or whatever. Um, but it seems like, no, this is costing him years of his life to produce these shadow, shadow babies. Mm. How many does he do in the end? Just two? 
as as far as I know, this is the there's two, and this is the last one, right? Mm-hmm. And I had almost forgotten about this one until reading the chapter because I certainly remember the Renly because that has such a, a right. consequence for Caitlin and for uh, yeah. Lady Brienne and and everything. So sure. The other thing that this chapter does that I had forgotten about is that it tells us that Storm's End has some mm. old magic woven into the walls. Forgotten, but still and, there. And Mel knows about it somehow. She, she can see it. She can feel it. She can feel it or she's old enough to remember it or... Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. It's it, but anyway, I thought it was interesting because this is right next to a John chapter where they're on the fist of the first men, and John is talking about how ghost will not come in between the stones, mm-hmm. almost as if there's some kind of force field or something. Mm. So I think that there's something happening here where Martin is introducing a kind of a force field magic. Interesting. Eventually, that is absolutely going to be an important for knowing what's going on at the wall. Like right. the wall is supposed to have some kind of some stuff like magic. that as well. Yeah. I thought an- another thing that was really interesting going on in this chapter was this whole back and forth between light and dark. There was one thing that really caught me, which was the personifications of both light and dark as being these. Um, you know, the gendered male, the way that they were describing mm-hmm. them, but like mm-hmm. personifying them. Yeah. But also I love this idea that as Davos is saying, well, you know, here we are in the dark and the shadows. We're doing our, you're a lady of the light, you're Rolor's servant, but here we are sneaking in under cover of night and the guards are huddling by the light that's casting the shadow that's letting us, you know, get through. And then you're going to birth a shadow. And she's like, yes, but the shadow serves the light. So this idea, the the whole dynamics between light and dark, mm-hmm. and who who is who's who's whom's servant? Uh, I guess if we can say that, or mm-hmm. the the interplay between these. So they're using, they're trying to do a mission for the Lord of Light, but they're using the cover of darkness and shadowy tactics to do it. So yeah, what does Mel say? She says like. Uh... You know, you're you're as naive as a young child, Davos. Yeah. <laughs> Shadows cannot exist in the dark. Shadows are children of the fire or something. Yes, like that. that's it. Yeah. So um I think it's it's a bit of sort of Zoroastrian dualism. Mm-hmm. Martin has said that that Rolor is sort of based on the Cathars and the and the Zoroastrians. Okay. And uh, the, all of the fire stuff comes from the Zoroastrians, which is our first known religion with uh, dual deities. You okay. know, e- right. A good deity right. and a bad deity. Right. Um, and, and this is when, I, you know, notable introductions, this is when Mel introduces the concept that Relore isn't the only one. Like she's she's mm. talking a good monotheism game up until now, and, mm. and it's to Davos that she yeah. On. She, she says, "Do not don't talk about the Lord of Darkness. You do not <laughs> want him involved in this at all." <laughs> yeah. So clearly, there's more than one, and they're personified. Right. They're not. They're not sort of uh, amorphic uh, features yeah. or powers or. 
some you know yeah, this, mysterious this, force that binds not, us all yeah, together. It's, it's not Star Wars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it goes down to modern questions about monotheism, right? Is if you're going to claim that there's some powerful evil force, are you truly monotheistic? That's a question people right. wrestle with. Uh, yeah. So it's it's interesting because she does it in public. She's very like, no, this is the Lord of Light. And to Davos, he's like, mm, let's uh, you know. Just be a little bit cautious when we're tiptoeing around the dark. So I feel like, and we should just call out that at the end of this chapter, you know, Mel does the whole shadow birthing thing and the baby grows up before his eyes. And Davos says, I know the face of that thing. And I know the man who birthed, you know, who sired that thing, suggesting that maybe it's a, it looks like Stannis. And uh, it, it wriggles in between the bars of the Parkolis and it runs along the water and presumably off to do, you know, dark deeds or whatever. Um, as I was reading this, I thought, I think this chapter is why Martin created Davos in the first place. Interesting. I think he had this idea, my little pet theory here, he had this idea of this scene where the priestess births a shadow monster. Mm. But in order to make it work, he needed a smuggler to get her under a castle. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, if I'm going to create a a smuggler, why don't I introduce him at the beginning of the book? Mm. I feel like this scene here where Davos is kind of a spectator necessitates a smuggler to be introduced into the narrative and that's why Davos was invented in the first place. It's an interesting theory. I, I've heard from you know authors and musicians. They talk about sometimes having that one scene. Uh, you know, out popped a, a hobbit from a hole. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should figure out what a hobbit is. And woof, here we go. Right. You know, yeah, or yeah. songs. You know that you you hear people talk about that it just it just came to them and they just had to do something with it. They were moved by some sort of spirit. So interesting that if that was his, I like the theory that he's just got this vision of Melisandre giving birth to a smoke monster. It's like, oh, how do I get her into position? Yeah, right. And yeah. then it turns out that Davos is, you know, for me is one of my favorite characters uh, out of the whole pantheon of of Game of Thrones. I've got a question for you guys. So Davos is hell-bent on taking Storm's End. Yeah. And no, Stannis. Yeah, sorry. Keeps, yeah. So Stannis is hell-bent on taking Storm's End. And one of the things that Davos suggests is, why don't you just go take King's Landing? Yeah, bypass it. By, you know, you'll, they're, you'll they're get it. Enough. Once you win the kingdom, you'll win this castle. You don't need Storm's End. Mm-hmm. And what Stannis says is, I don't want to be known as the king who couldn't take this castle. But my thought is, the reason why he wants this castle is that he needs Edric Storm for some some Lord of Light sacrifice stuff. Ooh, okay. So I here's my question. Do you think he cares about not taking Storm's End because he wants to be victorious over the castle of his birth, right? 
Or do you think he's doing it, he's driven by this idea that I have to get Edric Storm? Oof. John? Um, yeah, I... I think it's I think it's both, but I think it's honestly more of the birthright, I think. Because he was mocked so hard by yeah. the joviality of his brother. Both of his <laughs> brothers, really. Shamed, right? Yeah, he was completely shamed. And could you blame the guy for being distrusting of the friendly when both of his mm. brothers were kind of horrendous to him? Uh, especially, especially Robert. I guess Renly didn't really do much to him except claim the throne before him. But yeah, yeah. Robert, you know, giving Renly Storm's End was really a big f you. That's right. And that I think is, I think that's the the cornerstone of Stannis's character. Huh. Is being given second place to the youngest brother. Well, his yeah, well, his he, idiot he's... brother sat on the on the throne of everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. How much of this how much of this narrative is driven by these second sons who don't mm. know what to do with their lives? <laughs> <laughs> A lot. <laughs> what about you, David? What do you think about that? Does he um, want Storm's End or does he want Edric Storm? I thought when I read it, the thing that I picked up on was this idea of his image. You know that that how could how could he he doesn't want to be a king that doesn't mm. you know um, and didn't he he occupied this was his you know this is his birthright this castle isn't it part of his birthright yeah absolutely and it, then it goes into this whole that that's where it sort of veers into this whole thing about um, information and you know the the people are you know. A story may be true, but they'd rather tell this mocking story because it's humorous and it's fun and it's you know sort of throwing feces at the at the at the lords you know mm-hmm. when they're um, you know living you know uh, such disparate lives. So I I read it more as an ego, it's like an, a brand thing. It's like you know my brand. Yeah. You know people don't love me, so if I'm going to be this iron fisted you know son of a bitch, yeah. then I'm going to be an iron fisted son of a bitch, and I'm going to. Uh, take every inch and, you know, and I'm going to turn every stone and every Lord yeah, and, and uh, page that, you know, doesn't bend the knee to me is going to be punished as such. Yeah. But I, I like your theory though, because yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a two for one there. Maybe I like, I think I, I think I tend to that view as well, but I, I do want to read this one little passage here. Mm-hmm. You are quiet. Stannis observed and should remain so. Davos told himself. Yet instead, he said, my liege, you must have the castle. I see that now, but surely there are other ways, cleaner ways. Let Sir Courtney keep the bastard boy, and he may yet we- he may well yield. I must have the boy, Davos. Mm, must. Mm, mm. Melisandre has seen that in the flames as well. So, Good evidence. It, it's like, yes, he... Yes, he has the pride issue. There's no question that he's a man driven by a sense of ego and pride and all that business. Uh, but he just, he's absolutely hell-bent on getting Edric Storm as well. Mm. So, I mean, what what I think what Davos says is true. He says, if you, ta- if you win the kingdom, you win this castle as well. 
Why are we hanging out here? It's it's a it's the strategically smart. I mean, it's Davos doing Davos, right? And it's, I think I think what Stannis is thinking is, in order to win the kingdom, I need Edric Storm to do this blood magic, right? Right. Because there's no other way. Because the people are yeah. not going to rally to me. That's right. The, the people don't. Uh, what what he he tells the. What does he say that I, I hear that there's another story being told about me that I'm, you know, being <laughs> yeah, that he that he's of. been cuckolded by patch face the jester. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, Which I, this, I thought there was an interesting little detail here. You know, again, we're talking yeah. about layers and onions and whatnot. I feel like Stannis may have more motives than he's aware of. And this is where two things veer off a little bit into this not discussion, maybe just sort of pointing to nodding towards information, disinformation, how how information is transmitted. And, and we can certainly look in, in modern context where we're dealing with a lot of disinformation the, or misinformation these days and how that plays out in the body politic. And if you are a leader and you're trying to achieve something and meanwhile, what's happening is everybody's telling these funny snickering in the corners and telling yeah, all these little funny st- right. stories – when you go to march on King's Landing, you're not going to have the uh, support of the common folk and the small folk, and that's going to cause you problems. Ultimately, you know, both tactically and strategically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that people talk about politics versus policy, right? It's important mm. to have the good policy, but to get the good policy done, you need good politics. And right. it's just, it's unfortunate that that's a requirement, but it is, and Stannis never really learned that lesson. Or I guess... He understands that he's failed in that arena and that he has to be even stronger on, you know, the might, the policy, the military policy, right, right. just to compensate for his lack of political stamina. At least he's self-reflective enough to be able to recognize that in himself. Yeah. He's learned, he's lived a long enough life to realize that no one's going to love me for my winning charm. So, so I got to yeah, do Yeah, it's interesting. Do. Like, uh, so I was just doing this interview with... Um, a uh, professor who teaches Machiavelli. Oh, cool. And so for the very first time, I sat down and actually read The Prince, uh-huh. start to finish. And one of the things that Machiavelli says is that you have to be loved. And if you have to choose love or fear, then choose fear. But they're not; these things are not mutually exclusive. Mm. You, you don't want to only be the, the, the lord of fear, right? Right, because it'll make things easier on you if if you can, you know, politically uh, massage people's feeling towards you. So, and I think it's it's an interesting problem that a lot of people in this world face. It's like Stannis is basically punted on the love. He's like, nope, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the fear guy. And then in the show, Danny gets to. Um, actually, we could just point to Danny and Maureen. Mar- Danny and Maureen has the same problem. Like she, she has the power. She has the fist, but the people don't love her, and the, mm-hmm. and the and the and the lords don't love her, and this really bothers her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. It's one of these things where it's like, well, you're going to have to choose one or the other. But if you could if you can do what Renly did and have both, that's that's 
the best for everyone. And what happens when we find leaders who have both? I'm just thinking they're unstoppable (laughs) or they're stopped. Oh, you, oh, they get killed by a shadow monster. They get (laughs) by a shadow monster or by some other things. I'm just, I'm, I'm, my mind is going to some, Mm -hmm. you know, recent American history where we have somebody who they get underwear poisoned by Putin (laughs) by that. Or yeah, it's sort of like a real world shadow monster. Disposed, yeah, uh, uh, eliminated by you know any you know by some other means, right? right? So it's it it's dangerous, and especially if they have a just cause, a, right. a perceived just cause that they're uh, working on. The last thing I wanted to point out about this chapter, and I thought it was fascinating, Stannis is dreaming of Renly's murder, mm. and the details of his dream suggest. He's dreaming about what actually happened in that tent, even though he was asleep, you know, a couple miles away or whatever. Uh, he's dreaming of women screaming and Renly's blood and all that business that we know happened. So it's almost like he is. Is it kind of like a warging thing where he works into the shadow and now his consciousness is in the shadow for a little bit and now he can't forget it or. Is the dark magic just kind of like one of the consequences is that if you use it, it's going to haunt you. I listened to your chapter the other day. Um, uh, I think it was the Arya chapter, and I forget who the your guest was, but you guys were talking about the faceless men being wargs. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Dr. McCarran. We were yeah. talking about that. Yeah. That was really interesting. Just, just to pause at the question. And then to explore, you know, you know, this thing. So I, it suddenly makes like there's a lot of psychic transference that goes on in Kerm's world yeah, that's where people right. are touching each other. No, sorry, people that's going a bad into way to trees. <laughs> yes, exactly. Into people, wolves. Yeah. People going, you know, people looking at other people's feet and yeah. uh, using that, <laughs> using <Yikes>. that politically. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Anything else that you guys want to talk about related to this chapter? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good, I think, John. I just like the way that Davos's actor in the show goes onion. You know, he really he really sells the onion. <laughs> I love Cunningham. I love his accent. He's great. That's all I want to say. <laughs> you were a pirate once. No, I was never a pirate. I was a smuggler. What's the difference? Well, if you're a famous smuggler, you're not doing it right. I loved his accent too, and I will absolutely back that accent over the audiobook accent, which I don't know if you guys have heard the audiobook no, of Clash. Oh man, Davos is like almost like a cartoon pirate. Oh no. That's what <laughs> he sounds like a cartoon pirate. That's depressing. All right, notable introductions. Um, we meet the cross quills of Penrose for the first time. We hear that Tarth's seat of power is called Evenfall Hall. We hear of Lord Meadows, who is the cousin to the Penrose uh, liege lord, who is going to kind of support Stannis if anything ends up happening to Courtney. Wink, wink. Um, And that's exactly why Stannis thinks this assassination is going to work for him. Show differences. No Edric Storm 
in the show. Mm. Yeah. Gen- Gendry is sort of the, you know, sort of like a composite for all of Robert Baratheon's bastards. Not Renly. Uh, Gendry. Um, and uh, only one smoke baby in the show. Uh, in the book, there's two. Right. That's why I, d- I didn't remember. Yeah, same here. I was here. like, wait, there was a smoke yeah. baby here? <laughs> well, How quick this can is this when we actually get see it? Yeah, this is when we actually see the uh, you know the dark magic at work, right? Right. Um, anyway, I love this chapter. I thought it was really interesting. I think it does some interesting world building as well. Totally. It, it explains a little bit of what the, the magic is, a little bit of the Lord of Light stuff. Get a little, we, we get a little Old Testament who who begot who kind of thing of you know some more houses that we don't know that we don't see that much of. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I thought it was it was really for me it was worth it just to have Gurm like talk about what a gray man is and mm. talk about what justice looks like. You know, no one's a hero, no one's a villain. This chapter does a bit of heavy lifting for. I think Germ's theory of character development. Yeah, for sure. Lorehounds, uh, tell me about what's going on with you guys early December. Give me one second here to get to this thing and to go. This I know thing. of one thing you're doing, and that is you're co-hosting a podcast with me <laughs> and Steve. <laughs> Covering one of my favorite sci-fis of the last 10 years, uh, Severance. Yes. Yeah. We're anticipating season two. Uh, We're just finishing up our recap of season one. And uh, a ton of fun. Great sci-fi, well-conceived, but also really, really funny. So you don't often get those things in in the same show. And I've really enjoyed it. Well, I do know that we will all be doing a Star Wars holiday special <laughs> that's podcast. Right. That's true. Right, let's yes, let's mention that for sure because that's absolutely going to happen. So I've never seen the Star Wars <laughs> holiday special. <laughs> Me either. For a treat. I've uh, heard and horrible I think- things. Oh, oh, we are excited, aren't we? I've, <laughs> it's horrible. I I am so looking forward to hearing Steve. I can't wait for Steve pan to this, <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. And and the great thing about this is that they knew it was bad right away, and they tried to bury it. Right. And we we've been able to dig it up. The internet does not forget. <laughs> been able to dig it up. And now it's going to bring us joy because of how bad it is. Yeah. We're, so, we're taking a break from our Star Wars Film Festival to slip that in. So, yeah. It's, and where it's, can it's people fitting. find that? It's going to be on our main Lorehounds feed. So just search for Lorehounds on your podcast app of choice, Spotify, YouTube as well. Uh, and we've got our, our website where all our, your episodes are, are your cocoons of well, your uh, Properly Howard mm-hmm. episodes and Alicia's Wool Shift Dust episodes are all at lorehounds.com. Excellent. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you Thanks, jumping Anthony. on. Thanks, Anthony. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I've been in the process of creating a 
Fantasy Fantasy League for House of the Dragon Season 2. I haven't ruled out doing that with other podcasters, although that has been a little bit like herding cats. What I have done is I've gathered together a listener's league. There's 12 of us who are involved. We will earn points if one of our characters that we own the rights to says the right words or does the right things on screen. Season 2, we add up all those points at the end, see who wins. That's the basic concept of this. It is a little bit different than other leagues of this kind because you can draft either characters like Daemon Targaryen, or phrases like, my grace. So you get points for either characters doing things or characters saying things. The wrinkle here is that if your character says a phrase that you own the rights to, you get extra points. If that's the kind of thing that interests you, here are some of our league deliberations. Okay, here's Evan and Melanie and David and Allison and Steve B. Time now for Life on Tatooine. Brought to viewers everywhere in the hope that our own lives may be uplifted by the comparison and enriched with the gratitude of relief. Hello and welcome. Uh, Steve, I remember seeing you just recently. Um, yeah, it was a little bit ago, but yeah, it was just still kind of just the same a, you. Just a little while ago. Evan, you're not away on any kind of military training exercises, I see. Thank God. You're home. You're yes. you're well. Very good. Now, David, was there a Bulldogs football game on for you to watch? There, well, yeah, there was yesterday. Georgia played Georgia Tech last night and won. So, Big dogs win. are twelve and zero. So Wait, exciting I'm, times. Are you from Atlanta? Yeah, I live in the Atlanta area. How about you? Me too, Marietta, up north. Really? Okay, I'm incoming. Oh yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> Hence the team name, House of the Dogs. Let's do some uh, team names here. I just got an email from Laura. Laura cannot make it. She wanted to make it. And her house is called the Dothraki Dominators. Nice. Her <laughs> words are Haji Vekhat May. And that means blood lead us. So thank you, Laura, for that. Um, I also got a... Oh, this is this is from David. David, you can do your own. What's your team name? So I'm House of the Dogs, and I did cheat and use ChatGPT to help me create this. I put a couple of them together. Oh, did you really? <laughs> so I'll read it out. In the shadow of the hallowed oaks, where the red and black banners unfurl like ancient standards, House of the Dogs stands with unyielding honor. Amidst the battlegrounds, where the clash of the titans reverberates like distant thunder, House of the Dogs emerges as a fierce contender within the realms. Clad in the red and black, their armor adorned with proud emblem of the dogs, the bulldogs charge forth, embodying indomitable spirit of a noble house. Through the red and black flames, we remember strength through unity, honor through victory, for the red and black endures. Wow. That's excellent. Okay. That's beautiful, beautiful nonsense. Beautiful nonsense. That's exactly what it is. Beautiful nonsense. Now, that can't be your house words because that's like way too, way too <laughs> I know. much to memorize. Words. No, Anthony, they have to say that every time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They lose every time because of this. We'll go right at the very end then. Through the red and black flames, we remember strength through unity, honor through victory for the red and black endures. Uh, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, David. And then uh, I think, uh, Allison, you might have mentioned yours, uh, your house words before, but I, could you tell us again? Uh, yeah, let me pull it up. Uh, our house name, my house name is Potato Potato. 
House potato potato, yeah. <laughs> Our house motto is hypocritical Hufflepuffs, Hufflepuffs happily heart hot D. Very, very, very serious. Yes. <laughs> Are you a Hufflepuff personality? Proudly with undertones of just about every other house. Uh-huh. It really depends on the day. I'm assuming, Melanie, that you're Slytherin. Is that, would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm ambitious. I can be ruthless. Uh, but I'm clever. I'm not <laughs> evil. I'm just get out no, of my no, no, not even, no, no one's saying evil. No one. That's what all the Slytherins say. <laughs> it's a stereotype, okay? And, sure. you know, you probably don't like the Malfoys. Well, no one likes the Malfoys, but they are blonde, so. <laughs> that, that they are. That is one Targaryen racism them. coming through. <laughs> Evan, do we have your house name yet? No, I, I have not sent it in yet because I was thinking about this all day. All right, let's it. hear it trying to find something better than what i came up with first and I have i'm gonna not. write it so, down as you tell me here we go uh house clubby mcclubfeet i love and, it and our words are we do not tow oh <laughs> yeah. apparently i gotta use chat gpt to come up with a good uh house background story but i think we can all assume no. very good I love it. Very appropriate, I think. Um, oh, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. I was worried, yeah, like, oh, yeah. people are not going to like this. Are you a descendant of Laris? Maybe. <laughs> that makes the most sense, surely. <laughs> or, But he definitely toes. He's real into toes. <laughs> right. Maybe it's like, he's got to clarify, like, our ancestor is Laris, but we no longer... Not into it the way Correct. this guy is. Yes, I like this. I like this Toes idea. Toes are just regular. <laughs> How about, like, we will not tow. We want the whole foot. <laughs> that's that's the, the subtext. Yeah. yeah. One toe is not enough. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm going to think of you. That's what I'm going to think of when I think of yeah. you. So I'm scoring... <laughs> All right. Now, um, does ever do we have everyone? I said, do we get? Do I get to say my house words and stuff too? Oh, please. Yeah, I I think I was really quick on the draw on mine. I like said these like a month ago. I think <laughs> no, October fifth. That's when it was. I decided to go with house sweet leaves because uh, sweet child of time. First off, uh, a house. The, my words are a house at rest is blessed. And my backstory is an ambitious house with great strength, but we prefer to smoke, watch TV, and podcast, but we will absolutely fight for our right to party. I love it. I would like to see all that on a pillow in the very near future. Would you get to work on that, Steve? When it's nappy nap time. That's right. Okay, yeah, that's you, Anthony, over there in the black hoodie. I was like, there's another person that you haven't even talked to yet, and it's yeah, yourself. Yeah, that is... That's what I look like. <laughs> you look very casual. But uh, that is usually how I podcast. Um, I am house placebo in a gazebo because what could be more benign, less threatening than a placebo in a gazebo? And my... Is that a reference to It, the film? No, no. It's oh, just... Do you know what I'm talking about, though? I can't remember what character, but there's some character that can't say the word placebo when he's arguing with his mom. And he's like, you're just a gazebo or or like something. Oh, little Eddie. Yeah. Yeah, a little Eddie. 
What a no, I thought, what's the least threatening thing that you could come up with? Placebo and a gazebo. And in addition to that, I uh, have house words. Uh, we're here to make friends. That's that's why it's the <laughs> oh, whole there you go. Of this. The friends we made along so, the way. Yeah. This is the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need the cannon fodder, okay? <laughs> Dragon fodder. <laughs> Um, all right, so I want to open this up to any questions or discussions related to expectations, league format, or rules. And it's a very complicated system. The trick is to keep it complicated enough so that there's strategy, but also to be very clear about the expectations. So any questions or uh, problems with format or rules? I've got one about the actual auction. So. How does the nomination order happen? So if we want to throw, what do we call them, a point earner out? Yeah. How like how does that happen? So our auctioneer, and for, depending on which league you're in, which division you're in, will be a different auctioneer. But the auctioneer will establish a uh, an order, and so we'll take turns on suggesting a, either a phrase or a character to bid on. We'll all have to, in equal parts, suggest names or phrases to bid on. Okay, follow-up question to that. So are you allowed to nominate a position that you can no longer draft? So for example, if I've already selected somebody for Team Black and I've selected my stranger, am Mm -hmm. I allowed to nominate Black? You're allowed to do it, but there's a chance that you'll win the bid. Like on the very first nomination and then you'll have a character that you can't use. And so it would probably not be advantageous to do that unless you're playing, you know, four dimensional chess and you've got a (laughs) different strategy. No one's thought of yet, I suppose. Okay. And then at that point you just take the five point loss per week because you'll have an empty spot. I I think, I think that's it. I think that's the way it has to go. Um, You just have to keep that in mind. Uh, Evan, you had a, a comment question. Yeah. Uh, so I, I apologize. I was in really busy when we were making the final decision on the dragon flex spot. And I just frankly didn't read all the email traffic. My, so my question was, what was the final decision with the, it seems like the, what I briefly saw, it's going to go more to a flex, like right. any, any yes. dragon. So the the stranger character is, we're going to use as sort of like, a pure wild card. So you can tr- you can choose either a human character or a dragon. Uh, either one's fine. Perfect. Are we allowed to make any trades? I was thinking about oh, that. Let me throw this out question. to you. All right. I think in order to sort of be kind to Melanie, I don't think that in in-season trades is going to work, especially if some of us get screeners and some of us don't. But here's what I was thinking. We By could, some of us, he means him. We could. <laughs> I'm not getting screamed. <laughs> we could. I don't know if I will. Um, we could uh, do a round of trades at the end of the auction. We could do like, all right, are there any trades to be proposed? But I kind of feel like these things need to be settled before we like nail down rosters. What do you all think about that? We do not have a premiere day, correct? No, we're guessing early June at this point. 
my one thought is maybe you could allow trades up until the premiere. I don't want to assign Melanie up for too much work. I agree in-season trades could make things chaotic, but... Yeah, in-season would probably be too confusing because I have to pay attention to which, not only which humans, but also which dragons did what. Yeah. Um, Which, you know... Isn't so bad except for those two fucking twins that HBO <laughs> messed up the subtitle with. Um, but uh, up until point. that is that is troubling. Yeah, um, last season HBO fucked up the subtitles on who was who. Oh, is that right? Oh no. Yeah. Unless they're going rogue from the canon, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Melanie, okay. how many times are you planning on watching every episode in order to catch everything? Uh, well, I'll watch the it the first time just for me. And then I'll watch it again. And then I'll probably watch it a third time. I think we should all thank Melanie profusely now for all of the uh, effort that's going to go into the. We couldn't do it without you. We could not do it without you. Good thing I love math and Targaryens. <laughs> now you have to count points for non-Targaryens as well. I know. It's kind of crucial to this exercise. Yeah. Well, I'll be like, yay, if a non-Targaryen dies. Or if the Targaryens I don't like die. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Melanie. I wonder if we could talk about what if... Because this is a bilingual show, like some of the stuff is in High Valerian, right? Mm -hmm. And we are earning points with dialogue. I, I suppose you have to go with the subtitles on the uh, on the Targaryen, right? Yeah, and if we have a dispute, you mean you as can... far as like scoring points? Yeah, it's yeah, in a different language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess the question is, I was thinking like sometimes the subtitles are a little bit different than what is spoken on screen. I want to privilege what was spoken on screen over against the subtitles. However, if the thing is in High Valerian, I think we have to privilege the subtitles because otherwise mm -hmm. Melanie has to learn High Valerian. Yeah. And as much as I would love to, I don't think I can by June. <laughs> okay. um, and, uh, but... Yeah, isn't there an expert that like provides that high Valerian yeah. like um, translation? Yeah, David to Peterson. HBO? Yeah, C can you get him in the league real quick? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give him a team for free. Or if there's a uh, a scene where they don't translate it, like last season when Damon was yeah. singing to Vagar, but right. then we can be like, all right. Anthony, you All right. I find think out what we said. say is we we privilege what is said on screen unless it's a non English thing, and then we rely on subtitles. If there are no subtitles provided, mm -hmm. it does not count. Yeah. Oh, if okay. there's no subtitles provided, it does not count. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know how often that would happen, but <laughs> I don't know how often, but it did yeah. happen at least yeah, a couple I... times. Mm -hmm. Right. It was awesome. Are there any other questions about league rules or league format? Or is everybody like just show watchers who is? There are at least a few of us who have read the books. Okay. So, but there are people who have not. Yes. 
Okay, so I so have not. I, so I, yeah. I'm strictly a okay. show watcher, but I did get together with one of my more nerdy buddies who has read the books, and we did a little draft prep the other night. So, so I will say this. <laughs> I'm doing that. Yeah, that exact thing. When Evan and I <laughs> first conceived of this, we thought we want to make sure that there's no points earned for a major plot movement. These are all kind of like simple things like shows one butt cheek, you know, that's the kind of thing (laughs) you can earn points for in this league. You cannot earn points for murders, his brother or is poisoned or something like that. The the kind of thing that would be revealed in the murders, your brother on this show might be just a guess. Like (laughs) it's already happened. (laughs) Right, right. So no, I, I we we kind of tried to steer clear of major events. Um, as for the dialogue, the dialogue is going to be different than the. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that oh. I didn't say anything that would ruin the show yeah, for I anyone. Think there probably are a number of us who have not read the books, and I, I think that that's. Mm-hmm. I think we should be attentive to that. Yeah. We have a document available. Does everyone have access to the document? The, this, uh, all the rules <laughs> are written out. out. Eight pages. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I dare this show to come up with a scenario that you have not covered in mm. this eight page document that I have right here. Because it's like. <laughs> to keep it to eight pages was a tall order. I'm actually quite proud of myself for this. For me, it looks like you cover like any possible angle that could ever happen. We brought up a couple here tonight about the trading. I don't know. I've already got all mine highlighted and picked out. <laughs> Let me go ahead and reiterate this most recent little wrinkle here. And that is you do not have to spend all of your money during the auction. And you might choose for strategic purposes to bank some of that coin for an in-season pickup. It doesn't mean if you use all of your coin, you can still, you know, you can still try to make a pickup, but if someone is a little bit more wealthy than you, they might get that pickup instead. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So as part of the trade, are we allowed to trade any of our silver stags or acquire oh, any silver stags? What do you think, Evan? I would be, I would be okay with it. Um, I think we would need to have, maybe in the word document or create an Excel just somewhere publicly everyone can see everyone's money. Not that I think necessarily anyone would make up having (laughs) stags that they don't have, but for the sake of the integrity of the league, what do you think Melanie trade? You can trade phrases. You can trade characters. Can you trade coin? How would that even work? Trading coin. What does that even mean? Coin. Would it be sweeten the deal, though? Like, hey, I'll give you this character and this much stag if you give me your character. Oh, Oh, correct. So, like, a little bit of a bribe. Be a throw-in. Just sweeten the deal if they have a character you think is more valuable Uh than yours. Uh Yeah. Because otherwise, probably nobody would want to be traded with. I'm open. I'm open to this. I'm trying to think of, like, if there's... That's up to you guys. If you've got some extra coin. I think it's okay. I have a, maybe a dumb question that might have already been answered a hundred times. Do we have like? I'd a like date? you to hold all dumb questions. Okay. <laughs>